John chapter 19. John 19 verse 30. And we are on the second last sermon of the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And this one I've given the title Fulfillment in Afrikaans, Verfilling. Let us pray. Great God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Father of all those who place their trust in Christ, we come to the throne of grace, we come to the throne where we receive mercy to help in time of need. We come to the throne where we receive no judgment, for Jesus paid it all. We come to the throne where we receive power in the inner man, strength through the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would empower us, you the Almighty God. Give us strength, especially strength for Nielsen Mariki. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Give them strength in the inner man as they trust in Christ through this time of difficulty and trial. We pray that you would give us all strength and grace and hope of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A.W. Pink that is someone's name, Arthur Pink. Arthur Pink uh, wrote many sermons on this, not on this verse, but on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And I read his sermon on this one, and he uses an illustration of Queen Elizabeth I, not Queen Elizabeth II, the first who lived in the 1500s. And Queen Elizabeth on her deathbed, her very last words were these, Oh, my God, she called upon the Lord. It is over. I've come to the end of it. The end, the end. To have only one life and to have done with it. I've lived, I've loved, I've triumphed. And now to know it is over. One may defy everything else but this. Did Jesus die like that? Jesus did not die in defeat. Jesus did not die on the cross saying, It is over. Oh no, it is all over. No, Jesus died knowing He had fulfilled His Father's will. He had done everything and accomplished everything that His Father wanted Him to. And He died in victory. So let us read our verse, John 19 verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine... He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So when we say fulfillment, what I mean is fulfillment of what? First answer, our salvation. Jesus fulfilled our salvation. Now, as most of you know, I recently had COVID again for a second round. And toward the end of, of COVID, I would wake up in the night with a very dry mouth. 
and I'd have to get up and drink water and a few hours later again I'd wake up and it's dry as dust and I'd get up again and drink some more water and then eventually in the morning when I woke up again dry as a bone, dry as the desert and I needed some more water. Now Jesus, as I preached this morning from the previous two verses, Jesus was very thirsty, had a dry mouth. Verse 28, he says, I thirst. Verse 29, they give him sour wine to drink. And why does he want that sour wine? Yes, to fulfill the scriptures, but also Jesus wants moisture in his mouth and in his throat so that he can say, verse 30, it is finished. Now, what does that mean? It is finished. Let me tell you, let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean I am finished. It does not mean it's over. It's all over. I'm at the last thread of my life. I can't take it anymore. My life is over. The Greek word used here, finished, is, many of you know this, tetelestai. And tetelestai means, the Greek word means, it is complete, it is fulfilled, it is all done. I've brought it to an end. I've done my Father's will. I've paid the price. I've reached the end goal. Now it's in a perfect tense, that verb, which means, a perfect tense means, it is an action in the past that is complete, but it still has effect in the present. So Jesus died in the past, 2,000 years ago. And through the whole of history, the death of Jesus has had an effect. People have been changed through the death of Jesus on a cross. And to this day, people are saved from their sins because of what Jesus did. It is finished. It is done. Now, tetelestai, if you break it down to its simplest form, it's like, let's say the word responsibility What's the simplest form of responsibility? Responsible. So, the simplest form of tetelestai is teleu. And teleu in the New Testament, used in many different ways, we can look at them tonight. One of the ways it's used is Paul says, I have finished the race. It's complete. It is done. Jesus, when he died on the cross, Jesus, when he breathed his final breath, it was done. Nothing more needs to be done for our salvation. That is why when we have the Lord's Supper, when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we do not say like the Roman Catholic Church that we are now bringing a fresh sacrifice, the Mass. It is not Jesus being sacrificed again. If you say that, then in effect you are saying the cross was a failure. Because Jesus couldn't complete it there. Jesus said, it is finished. No more sacrifices needed. It is done. Tetelestai also means the cross of Jesus is enough. It is sufficient. Jesus, when he died on that cross, he did not go to hell to suffer more for our sins, like the Word of Faith movement believes. Here's a quote from Joyce Meyer. 
Joyce Meyer says, Jesus was in the grave three days. During that time, he entered hell and defeated Satan. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross and went to hell in our place. His spirit went to hell because that is where he deserved to go. Jesus went to hell for you. That is false. I'm going to preach on this in the last sermon of these seven sayings of Jesus. That'll be the last sermon will be Luke 23 verse 46, where Jesus on the cross said, when he died, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus did not say, my spirit is now going to hell. Jesus went to heaven. I'll explain that in the final sermon in the series. Now, Jesus then completes and finishes the work of salvation. It is finished, verse 30. How does he do this? Again, this, the, the, the simplest form of tetelestai is telewa, and this is going to help us here. In the New Testament, the word telewa is also used of paying debts. So he had skilled. For instance, Jesus says to Peter, go and catch a fish, take a coin out of its mouth, and pay, telewa, pay the debt for you and for me. Or in Romans 13, the Apostle Paul says, pay to everyone what you owe them. That word, telewa, again. So, you know in the New Testament, sin is also called debt, right? Like in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the debt you and I have for our sin, it's a great debt. Who can pay the debt for their own sins? It is a great debt against an infinite God. It's an infinite debt. You cannot repay that. But Jesus can. And so Jesus takes the debt. Here's the paper that says you owe so much. And the paper just continues and continues and continues. And Jesus takes that paper and he nails it to the cross. Colossians 2 verse 14. And Jesus pays that and in the blood of the Son of God, there is written on that paper. So Jesus paid. You owe nothing more. You don't have to go to jail now to do jail time because you've got outstanding debt that you can't pay. And you know what jail time means in the Bible, right? It's an eternal punishment in hell. You don't escape that from that prison. But now you don't need to go there because you're looking to Christ who has paid the debt for sinners. It's paid in full. Just think of that. Just imagine you owe 1.5 million rand. You have nowhere close to that amount of money to pay and someone pays it for you. Now you owe an infinite amount and Christ had paid it. Christ has paid it all. It wasn't cheap, was it? It cost Jesus his very life's blood to pay our debt on the cross. Actually, it cost him more than merely his blood. That word, telewa, in the Greek, that word is also used of satisfying something. For instance, you've got a desire to do something sinful, and now you satisfy that desire. Galatians 5 verse 16. That's the word, telewa. Jesus satisfied something when he died on the cross. Not some evil desire. Jesus satisfied the demands of God's justice.
God's justice demanded you and I die. You and I be punished for our sins. Jesus satisfies the demands of justice. When he dies on that cross and he says it is finished, it's like Spurgeon gives an excellent illustration on this. He says Jesus on the cross is like a lightning conductor. The flash of God's anger, the flash of God's judgment must fall upon you and I for our sins. And Jesus is the lightning conductor. So he draws the lightning of God's anger and God's judgment upon himself so you and I can be free. Satisfies the demands of justice. So the Father is satisfied with the cross of the Son of God for our sins. The debt has not only been paid, but jail time has been done. Jesus is paid. What are the implications? If Jesus has paid for our sins, if Jesus took upon him the judgment of his Father for our sins, that means, in the first place, implies only Jesus could do that. Because only Jesus is the eternal God-man. So only Jesus could take within six hours hanging on a cross an eternal judgment upon himself, an eternal punishment for our sins. Only Jesus could say, it is paid in full. It's finished. No one in hell, no one in hell will say verse 30. No one in hell can say, it is finished. I've now paid my, my debts. You never pay it off. Only Jesus could. And so if you're not saved tonight, you have not been born again. You have not repented of your sin and trusted in the Son of God. I suggest you do it tonight. I not only suggest it, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. He's your creator. You turn to the Son of God by faith and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. I call on the name of the Lord and God promises he will save you. The second implication of that, I'm not at point number two. The second implication of saying that, that Jesus satisfied the demands of justice, he took the punishment for sinners upon himself on the cross. Let me ask you this question. Is there anyone sitting here tonight? Is there anyone watching online tonight? You are going, you're a Christian, but you're going through suffering. You're going through trials. Mariki and Niels, you're going through trials. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, and because Jesus said it is finished, it means... What is happening to you right now, it is not the judgment of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. Yes, we might go through times of difficulty as Christians, of suffering. It might be discipline to bring us back onto the right track. It might be just a trial to keep us on the right track. But it's not the condemnation and judgment of God. Jesus paid it all. That Greek word tetelestai, it's also, it's a, it's a, it's a victory cry. It's a victory cry. Jesus says, I have conquered. It is done. I've defeated sin and death and the powers of darkness and hell. He has done it, says Psalm 22 verse 30. He 
He's done it. Or verse 31 at least. John 12 verse 31. The ruler of this world is now cast out. He has taken the powers and authorities and dominion. These powers of evil and powers of darkness. And he has bound them. Says Colossians 2 verse 15. For this reason the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil, says 1 John 3 verse 8. Christ has done it. You can add nothing. You can do nothing to remove your own sin. I don't care if you fast for 40 days. I don't care. You can tell me I'm whipping myself. I'm beating myself up. You cannot say, oh, I'm trying to do enough good works to balance the scales. Yes, I've done sin, but I've also done many good works. You go and try that in a court of law. You, you commit a murder. You rape someone. You break into a house. You rob a bank. And then you tell the judge in court, oh, but I've also done many good works. Good works can never cancel sin. Every religion in the world will tell you you can cancel out the sin by doing good works. Do, do this, do that, do this good thing, do that good thing. You can earn the favor of God. Biblical Christianity alone says, Tetelestai. It is done. It is all paid. Now verse 30 shows you when Jesus does it, Verse 30 shows you how Jesus did it, how Jesus defeated death. I find this very interesting. Verse 30 says, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It does not say, and Jesus gave up his spirit and bowed his head. Because that's what crucified people would do. They would pull themselves up against the cross, the nails through their hands, through their feet, some only tied by ropes, and they would pull up again because they suffocating. They, they can't get air, and they're drowning in their own uh, moisture and blood in their lungs, so they would pull themselves up to get more breath, and some, at some point it's going to be the last breath, right? You're going to go, and then flop your head down, and you're dead with Jesus it says in the text, he bowed his head and he gave his final breath. Jesus did not try. I just want to live a little longer. I'm fighting for this. I remember a lady sitting at her in hospital. She wasn't a Christian. And my friend asked her, ma'am, what are you hoping for? She was very, very ill. And she said, I just hope I can live a little longer. That is not Jesus. Jesus is not saying, I hope I can live a little longer. Jesus is not saying, unfortunately, um, I love Stuart Townend. He writes beautiful songs. We sing them in our church, but he's got one song. And the whole song is right except for one line. And we, you know that song we sing uh, from the squallow of a borrowed stable? And then it says in the, in the song, he fights for breath. No, he does not fight for breath. Jesus is not fighting to stay alive. Jesus, it says in verse 30, he gave up his spirit. In the next sermon, I'm going to preach this, Luke 23, 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus gave his life. No one took it from him. 
It's voluntary. John 10 verse 18. I have authority to lay down my life. And I have authority to take it up again. No one takes it from me. Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus chose, I will now die. It says so in verse 28. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. And that word finished there is tetelestai. And verse 30, he said tetelestai. It's done. <laughs> and it, it goes further and it says Jesus gave up his spirit. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit. It means his human spirit. So just the point I'm trying to make is who's in control when Jesus dies? Is death in control of Jesus or is Jesus in control of death? Yeah, I don't need to answer the question. You know the answer. Let me just read to you Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Since therefore we, the children of God, share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus also had a body. That through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You and I need not fear death anymore. Christ has conquered it. Now practically, that would mean that death for a Christian is not only bitter. Yes, we said, but it's not only bitter. When Jesus hung on that cross, it says... He bowed his head, verse 30. Do you remember Jesus one day, someone said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And Jesus said, I have nowhere to lay my head. That's the place where Jesus finds to lay his head, the cross. He bows his head. And it's because of that, because of Christ, because of the cross, that you and I, when we die, when we are on our deathbed, you can lay down your head in peace. And say, I'm falling asleep now. I'll open my eyes in a few seconds and I'll be with Jesus. <laughs> and that goes also for, for family. Family or loved ones who have died, maybe of COVID. Because you know during the, the COVID time, when it was hard lockdown, you couldn't go to hospital. Your family members who died of COVID, and if they were Christians, you might feel very sad because you think they died alone. They died alone. There was no one there. They did not die alone. The good shepherd was there. They walked through the valley of the shadow of death. They did not fear evil because the shepherd says, I am with you. Number two, the law and the prophets. So that's when we say fulfillment, we meet our salvation. And the second answer or what we, what we mean when we say fulfillment is the law and the prophets. So the prophets. I, I was a student once <laughs> at seminary and one of my lecturers, he was a liberal. A liberal. That means they don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus and stuff like that. Now I didn't at that stage know he's a hardcore liberal. But he told us in class that there are no prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And my very first Old Testament assignment was on Isaiah 7 verse 14, where it says, he was from, from the University of Pretoria, this guy, but where it says that the virgin shall conceive, she shall, she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And he said, and that's not about Jesus. Well, let me tell you what Jesus said. 
Jesus said to the disciples after the resurrection, Everything written about me in the law and the Psalms and the prophets have, have their fulfillment. Jesus said the Old Testament speaks about him. And that's what tetelestai means in this context. Because in verse 28 it says, After this Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, tetelestai, said to fulfill the scripture. And then in verse 30, tetelestai, it is done. The prophets have been fulfilled. Every single prophecy concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Malachi have been fulfilled to the letter. I gave, I gave that to you this morning. I'm not going to repeat that. All kinds of prophecies about nails being driven through his feet and hands and dying between criminals and so on. There is not a single prophecy about the death and resurrection of Jesus that has not been fulfilled. They have all been accomplished. Tetelestai. It is finished. It is done. The very first prophecy is Genesis 3 verse 15. God says to the serpent, The seed of the woman will crush your head. You will bite his ankle. You'll bite him by the heel, but he will crush your head. So when Jesus dies on the cross, he defeats Satan, he fulfills the prophecies, and not only does he fulfill the prophecies that are past, Jesus makes certain, he guarantees by his death, every single prophecy that is left will be fulfilled. He will restore this world. He will reverse the Genesis 3 world, a fallen world with suffering and sin and death and tears. He will reverse it all and He will bring a new heavens and a new earth. He will give you a new body that is no longer capable of becoming old or having pain or, com or committing sin or dying. How do you know that will really happen? Well, if all these other things happen, that's one, one way we know. But the other thing, God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Ephesians 1 verse 13 and 14. Ephesians 4 verse 30. So, so Tetelestai does not only look back to say, oh, all these prophecies have been fulfilled. No, no, Tetelestai also looks forward. Mark Jones says, when Jesus says, Tetelestai, that word, it is finished, does not only say, it is finished, it also says, it has begun. <laughs> new life, new hope, new joy, new heavens, new earth, all in that word. Tetelestai. Can I say this to you tonight? If the prophecies, if the fulfilled prophecies do not convince you that Jesus is God and the Bible is true, then nothing will convince you. Some atheist or agnostic once said, if I see a miracle take place right in front of my eyes with a thousand witnesses present, I would rather question my senses than believe the miracle. Didn't Jesus say that? In Luke 16 verse 31, they've got Moses and the prophets. They've got the Old Testament. If they don't believe that, they will not believe even if someone should rise from the dead. And did they believe when he rose from the dead? Didn't convince them. So that's the prophets that's fulfilled, but the law is also fulfilled. So Jack, 
Jack has a lot of traffic fines. And Jack wants to now go to pay his traffic fines. Or at least, let's, let's, let me re reinvent the illustration. Let's say Jack's friend has a lot of tra traffic fines. Now, Jack's friend hasn't got money, so Jack says, listen, I'll pay your traffic fines for you. And so he goes to pay his friend's tra traffic fines, but guess what? He can't pay them. Why? Because he's got his own traffic fines. Jesus could not pay the debt of our sin if he sinned. Then he would need to pay for his own sin. But Jesus didn't sin. That's why Jesus needed to live before he could die. That's why Jesus needed to keep the law perfectly before he could take the punishment for our law breaking, for our disobedience to the law. Where did Jesus start obeying the law when he was a human? As a baby. Do you remember that? He was circumcised on the eighth day, as the law said. And then taken to the temple and the sacrifices were brought and so on. And that, by the way, the Greek word there is telewa. <laughs> in Luke 2 verse 39. So Jesus fulfilled the law like Sean read from Matthew 5. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus did not commit a single sin. Jesus did not break a single law. Even, even lesser known laws. Even let's say smaller laws if you could call it that. Exodus 22 verse 14. Here's an example. That law tells you that when you borrow something from someone. So he says, oh, I'll lend that to you. So you borrow something from your friend, you must look after it. Don't break it. Give it back in one piece. Jesus kept that law. Can I give you two examples of that? When he went to Jerusalem, he's going on a donkey, but did he have his own donkey? No. He said to the disciples, go and get a donkey there and tell the people, I'll send it back immediately. Jesus took care of it and he gave it back. Another example is, Jesus says, the Father has given these sheep to me. I have not lost one of them. Yes, he takes care of what other people give to him, of what others give to him. So he kept that law and he kept every other law. He did his Father's will. He says in John 17 verse 40, I've completed your will. Everything you gave me to do, Father, I've done it. It is done finished. What's the implication for you and me practically? Practically, the implication is you can't keep God's law. Neither can I. We're sinners. But Jesus kept it perfectly. If you repent of your sin and you trust in the Son of God as your Lord and Savior and you receive Him as your personal Lord and Savior, the perfect law-keeping of Jesus copy and paste. It's put to your account. It's put on your books. You receive the righteousness of Christ. It's like an Australian professor, Paxton. He was preaching to a, uh, I think in Pretoria, he was preaching to a, a group and he said to them, uh, who of you believe we are saved on the basis of law-keeping? Who of you believe we are ons word gered op grond van wetsonderhouding? No one put up their hands, but that was the right answer. We are kept, or we are saved on the basis of law-keeping. Not our own, but the law-keeping of Jesus. <laughs> he kept the law. Now, a question now comes, all right, so if you receive the perfect law-keeping of Jesus, His righteousness would be put your account if you trust in Him. Does that mean now as Christians, am I now saying we don't need to keep the law any longer? 
Well, yes. And no. <laughs> yes, because you cannot be saved by keeping the law. You'll never do it. Because you've already messed up and sinned. And so have I. We're sinners. And Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 10, if you do not keep the law perfectly, you're under a curse. Matthew 5 verse 48, you must be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. Who has done that? Who's done that? Only one. And his name is Jesus. So, yes, I would say um, you must not keep the law in order to be saved. But if you are saved, then God has written His law on your heart. You are now able to keep the law. You have a desire to keep the law. And you will keep the law. Not by your own power, but the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And He will make you walk in the laws of God. Ezekiel 36 verse 37 or 27. And Romans 8 verse 4. So, you are not under the law in order to be saved. Romans 6 verse 14. But if you are saved, you're going to keep the law. The Holy Spirit will never guide you to do something against God's law. Never. He will guide you in the law of God. He will guide you to do good works. Listen, Chris is going to preach on this soon. A life of commitment, a life of radical commitment with, to Jesus Christ does not begin by saying, oh, I need to keep these laws. You go and try that. You'll see the law beat you up. And give you a black eye and a bloody nose. You are, you are not someone who grows in commitment to Christ by law keeping. A life of radical commitment starts with Jesus saying it is finished. Starts with the Holy Spirit working in you and guiding you in the truth and you obeying the Spirit of God through the Word of God. A life of radical commitment to Christ does not start with by keeping rules. Don't eat that. Don't touch that. Don't do this. That's religiosity. That is not Christianity. A life of radical commitment begins with new life in Christ. A life of radical commitment does not start with religion. It does not start with rituals, saying animal sacrifices. No, it is done. It starts with the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled all of that, all of that. The Old Testament temple, that is fulfilled. The, the Old Testament animal sacrifices, the Old Testament priesthood. That is all done. When Jesus died and he cried out, it is finished, and he gave up his breath, what happened in the temple? You remember? The temple curtain tore from top to bottom. No one could go beyond that curtain except the high priest once a year. And he first had to bring a sacrifice for his own sin and the sin of the people. When Jesus died, the curtain tore. God says... The way is open. Sinners can come by faith in my Son. Come, trust in the Son of God. Come, you sinners. Come, have life in my presence. So now there's a new temple, right? Doesn't Paul say in Ephesians 2 and 1 Corinthians 3 that we are the temple of the Lord, the church, true believers? Doesn't the Bible say there's a new priesthood? Every single Christian is a priest. Doesn't the New Testament teach us that there are new sacrifices? What is the sacrifice that we need to give now? 
Give your body as a living sacrifice. Give your whole self. Give everything you have as a sacrifice to Jesus Christ. That means, and I want to emphasize this because they're Christians, even people who attend our church get this wrong. They think, if I pray, the pastor, then it's going to happen. If they pray, it's not going to happen. That's going back to Roman Catholicism, thinking that the priest has got special powers. It's nonsense. Every single Christian, because of what Jesus did, you are a priest if you believe in Christ. And that means you can pray your own request to the Lord. It doesn't mean the pastor shouldn't pray for you and we can't pray for one another. But it just means you can come. The way is open. You can come. You don't need a priest to go and confess your sin for you. You can come and confess your sin because of what Christ has done on the cross. And also, if the temple is fulfilled, if, it, if Jesus met, it is finished. All this temple sacrifices and priesthood, if that is finished, I do not expect that there's going to be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem in the future with priests and with animal sacrifices. Some Christians believe that. I'm sorry. I can't. Jesus has done it. It's all done. It's fulfilled in Christ. And then tetelestai, almost done. Tetelestai also means Jesus fulfills the Old Testament shadows. So, for instance, the Sabbath, a seventh-day rest. Now it's fulfilled in Christ. We have the rest of salvation in Christ. Didn't Jesus say... Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you, what's the Sabbath? Rest. So we have rest in Christ through faith. Hebrews 4. We've entered into His rest. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament feasts. I get a bit uptight about this. When I hear Christians, these Hebrew roots nonsense. When I hear, well, I wouldn't call it Christianity. But when they're, oh, we're going, we're keeping the Old Testament feasts again. Why? Jesus says, it is finished. They say, no, it's not. We're still going to slaughter a lamb. We're still going to do the Passover, the Jewish Pascha. Jesus is the lamb. Passover is fulfilled in Christ. I'm going to skip the dietary laws. But you, don't, you can eat bacon. Tetelestai. Finally, also means Jesus fulfills the Old Testament types and shadows. Just going to go to one very quickly. I know I've been preaching for a long time. Genesis 22. I just read this in my quiet time not long ago. This is a type. This is like a preview of Jesus. So here's Abraham. He's going to sacrifice his son Isaac. And then it says, go and sacrifice your only son whom you love. Oh, Jesus, he's also the only begotten whom the Father loves. And then they go, and Abraham says to the servants, just wait here, we'll come again to you. And Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to be crucified, but wait for me in Galilee, I'll come again to you. Hmm. Uh, and then he puts the wood on Isaac. He says, you carry the wood to the place of offering. Oh, and Jesus carries a piece of wood. The cross. And then he, he says, God will provide the lamb. Abraham says to his son, God will provide a lamb. Oh yes, and God did provide a lamb. His name is Jesus. And he bound his son Isaac to the altar, and Christ was bound to a cross. And then there's a ram, and the ram is sacrificed in the place of Isaac. 
And Jesus is sacrificed in our place. And so I can go on. I've got another example. I'm going to skip it. You can get the notes on the blog. Let's close by just saying this. You need to do nothing in order to be saved. Jesus has done it all. Don't insult Jesus by trying to add your little good works. Jesus has paid it all. You know, in the Old Testament, when you brought an animal as a sacrifice, let's say you brought a lamb, and the priest, to, who, to whom did the priest look to see is this acceptable to God? Did the priest look at you and say, did you shave today? Why is your hair not washed? Your clothes are a bit old. I see there's a hole in your sandal. Priest didn't care about you. He only looked at the lamb. Is the lamb acceptable? God doesn't look at you. God only looks at the lamb. Is the sacrifice acceptable? And it is. Because Jesus said, it is finished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, praise the name of Jesus. Glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for magnificent, marvelous, matchless love. What more can we say, Lord? Accept our prayer tonight, through Jesus Christ. Amen.